Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace and your goodness to us. Father, we pray that you would guide us in this time. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would give us wisdom and understanding. You would give us discernment to hear, to know, and to be transformed by your truth. Father, we thank you for your word, your scriptures that are, that are perfect, breathed out by you. Father, we pray that you will guide us into their truth. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. If you, it's a strong rain. If you go through Ephesians chapter 1, so if you'd look at Ephesians chapter 1, you're going to see where the Apostle Paul takes us through who we are in Christ. Remember, that's the entire focus of Ephesians chapter 1. Who we are in Christ. Who is God? What has God done? And who we are in Christ. We see that we are saved by the Father, by the Son, and by the Holy Spirit. So if you go through, as we have went through this last month or so, Ephesians chapter 1, we see this. If you see in verse 4, he talks about God's choosing. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. So what were we chosen for? To be holy and blameless in his sight. So part of the saving work of God is he chooses us so that we would be holy and blameless in his sight. So that when he would see us, he would see someone who is holy, someone who is blameless, someone whose sins have been completely covered, whose debt has been completely paid, who has been completely set free from the curse of not obeying God's law. That's what holy and blameless in his sight. But that's very hard for us to understand. How can we be holy and blameless in the sight of God when we know our sins? We know that there isn't a day, (laughs) there isn't an hour, dare I say, there isn't a moment when we don't experience the struggle with sin in thought, word, or action. 
So this miracle must take place. This supernatural work of God must take place so that we can be, as chapter 1, verse 4 says, holy and blameless in His sight. In verse 5, to go even further, to be holy and blameless, he says, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons. So there's that new title. Just like Enzo said. That's the new title we get when we're in Jesus Christ is we become children of God, sons of God. So that becomes your identity. That becomes who you are that is higher and greater than anything else. You become a child of the living God. And how is that possible? Because of what Christ has done. We see that in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And you keep going. It talks about an inheritance. We looked at that. And we looked at in verse 12. In order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. So we see not only... Does God choose us to be holy and blameless in his sight? He chooses us to be his adopted children because of the blood of Jesus Christ that makes us holy and blameless in his sight. The righteousness of Jesus Christ, which is perfect, is given to us who are unrighteous so that we are holy and blameless in God's sight. And that's where the Old Testament says God takes our sin and he removes our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. A complete removal so that we can be holy and blameless in the sight of God. And in case you may wonder about that and wonder if that's true for you, Because if you continue to sin, you may question, well, God, I continue to sin. I continue to struggle here. I continue to disobey here. I continue to have thoughts that I know I shouldn't have that are in disobedience to your word, your truth. I continue to say things that I know I shouldn't say that are in violation of your law. I I continue to do things that that are not of you, that are of sin and of brokenness and and that are shameful and that are wrong. Oh God, how, how can I know that I'm holy and blameless in your sight? And that's how Ephesians 1 verse 14 addresses that. It says about the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee. So even though we may continue to sin and we may continue to do and say and think things that are wrong, we know that if we have the Holy Spirit within us and we see within us this desire for God and a growing hatred for sin and the things of this world, we know that we are secure in God. And that regardless of what ongoing sin we struggle with, because of Jesus Christ... Because of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us and because of the choosing, predestination, the plan, the sovereignty and will of Almighty God, we are holy and blameless in His sight. 
So that's the purpose of Ephesians chapter 1 as we went through. It's helping you understand who God is and who you are in Christ. That's very crucial. It's very important. As we've looked at the Heidelberg Catechism, the Heidelberg Catechism does it a little different order than Paul does in chapters 1 and 2. For the Apostle Paul, he begins with our deliverance. He begins with God's work and our glorifying and our gratitude to God because of what he has done. And then as we get into chapter 2, what does Paul do? He reminds us of our misery. He reminds us of the condition and state we were in in our sin. A state of complete and utter rebellion and hatred toward God and disregard for God. And we were in a complete state of sin and disobedience leading to eternal judgment. The Apostle Paul has a purpose of reminding us in chapter 2 who we used to be. He began with chapter 1 with who we now are in Christ. If if you believe in Jesus Christ and you trust him as your Lord and Savior, you are a child of God. You are holy and blameless in his sight. Yet, as we see in these first three verses of chapter 2, you weren't always an adopted child of God, holy and blameless in his sight. No, there's a condition that we are all born into. Even before that, there is a state that we are all conceived into. There is this condition that from the moment our life begins is our identity, is who we are. And until that moment where God makes us alive to believe and trust in the complete work of Jesus Christ in his life, on the cross, and his resurrection from the dead. Until we come to know and believe and trust in that, there are two titles that are over our heads. And as I said earlier, those titles are sons of disobedience and children of wrath. That is who we are outside of Jesus Christ. That is our condition, that is our place, and that is our outcome. Sons of disobedience, children of wrath. The scriptures make very clear there is no neutrality. There is no place of no man's land between. No, the, the, the lines of demarcation, the, this is clear. You are either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. Either God is your father, or the devil is your father. Either you are a son of disobedience, and wrath, and of eternal destruction, or you are a son of God, because of his grace, and his love, and you have eternal life. That's it. 
There are only those two categories. And that's where the Apostle Paul is taking us. He's taking us in chapter 2 as he begins to weave this too. Because first of all, we understand if you look at Ephesians chapter 1, oh, you give grace. You give glory to God for his grace and mercy. You thank him that he would save you. But, but you and I, we have to know what we've been saved from to fully give God all the glory and to understand his grace. We have to understand the state and condition of our misery and disobedience to understand what it meant that the Son would take the wrath that we deserved. What it meant that the Son would have our disobedience placed on his perfection. And that's what the Apostle Paul begins doing as we look at Ephesians chapter 2. So Ephesians chapter 2, we see starting in verse 1, the Apostle Paul makes very clear. Because throughout Ephesians chapter 1, one of the key words there is alive, living, God's active work. So when you see your condition outside of Christ, before faith, before the Holy Spirit made you alive, before you were saved, What's the key word given to us? And you, this is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, and you were dead. Dead. It's a very important word to understand. In our sins, in our trespasses, in our disobedience and rebellion against God, we were dead dead. It isn't that we were sick. It wasn't that we were weak. It wasn't that we just didn't have all the information. Yeah, it wasn't that just there's just something missing, just like you were almost there, but there was just this last little bit. The scripture doesn't know that. What the scripture knows is this, is, and you were dead. That's of vital importance. Because the same God in the Bible who saves someone who is dead in sin and makes them alive is the same God who comes to a barren woman and brings about a pregnancy. It's the same God who comes to a Virgin Mary and the Holy Spirit overshadows and brings the eternal begotten Son of God. It is the same God who comes and chooses the the weakest and smallest to bring victory over the greatest and the most mighty. Remember the whole purpose that the Apostle Paul gives in Ephesians chapter 1 is this. It's all for the praise of God's glorious grace. That he is to receive all the glory. He is to receive all the honor. So for God to receive all the glory, for God to receive all the honor, that means when we 
are in our sins and trespasses, outside of Jesus Christ, we are dead. Absolutely unable to do anything to save ourselves. Absolutely unable to even desire to save ourselves. Absolutely unable and unwilling to seek after God and be obedient to Him. We are dead. We are dead. This isn't only our state and who we are before we come to have faith and believe in Jesus Christ. This is the state of all those we know who are not saved in Jesus Christ. They are dead. That's their condition. So a part of praying for God to to bring them to truth is, oh Lord, make them alive. Give them the gift of faith. Give them a new heart. Give them a new mind. Make them alive. Because they can do nothing in their state of sin to save themselves. So that's how the Apostle Paul begins here in verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So the first category in your outline... On the back, there's an outline that gives some of the scripture references I'll be touching on. So you see where the first issue there is us being dead. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. So the Apostle Paul gives us this name for all of us who are dead in our trespasses and sin. That is sons of disobedience, children of disobedience. And we see here our three big enemies. So these are our three enemies. And in this first section, we have our our first two enemies. You see this in verse 2. In which you once walked, following, so here's our first big enemy, the course of this world. So this is the ways of this world, this fallen world. So everything around you that you see, whether it be the, the political establishment or economics or, or justice or media or, or any part of society, every aspect of the world, you see the effects of the fall. You see brokenness. You see disobedience. You see pride. You see the desire to, to harm others for your own good. You see everything striving toward elevating yourself at the expense of others. That's this way of the world. This is this this system of brokenness and disobedience. And we saw it in the Tower of Babel, where people tried to make a name for themselves, saying that they do not need God. So that's the way of this world. The way of the fallen world is we will make a name for ourselves in our own strength in our own power, because we do not need God. That's the way of the world. And it says that in that way, in that course, on that road, we all once walked. That's how we understood, and that's the way we went. So that's that first first main enemy. 
But what's the danger of walking in the way of the world? Living according to the way of the world? Well, the problem is this. This fallen world is going to pass away. So if that's the road you're on, it leads to destruction. That's what, that's the main warning out of this. And that's why I have 1 John 2, chapter 15, I mean, verses 15 and 17 there. If you go to 1 John 2, it talks about this way of the world and the, and the outcome of the way of the world. So 1 John 2, starting at verse 15. It says, do not love the world. Again, this is the fallen, broken, sinful system all around us. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh. This is this fallen human nature, this flesh that is rebelling against God. This is the flesh that says, do what you think feels good to you. Do what you think is right in your own eyes. This is fallen flesh. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, there we see all forms of greed and lust and desire that we want to take from others to have ourselves the desire of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the rule. We see the distinction there between how God wants us to live and how the world says we should live. But here's the problem with living according to the world, verse 17, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but... Whoever does the will of God abides forever. So that's the problem with living according to the rule. Not only is it in disobedience to God, but it leads to destruction. It leads to destruction. So that's that first category. The Apostle Paul says that we, when we were sons of disobedience, used to live in. We used to walk in follow, live according to the courses, the ways of this world. But then here's our second enemy lifted up. Here's enemy number two. Enemy number two. And we see why the world is in the state it's in. It's because of enemy number two. And this is it. If you continue in verse two, following the prince of the power of the air. Now, who's that? Who's the prince of the power of the air? Who is that? That's it. It's the devil. It's Satan. This is the one. Remember the one that came in and tempted Eve? And remember what his titles are? Jesus makes clear in John 10, if you look at John 10, 10, it says about this prince of the power of the air, the devil, Satan, it says he is the thief. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus comes that you may have life and have it abundantly. 
So we see where this prince of the power of the air, the devil, Satan, all he wants to do is to kill, steal, and destroy. Elsewhere, it talks of him being the accuser. He's the slanderer. It also talks about him being the father of all lies. All he knows how to do is lie, to deceive, and to destroy. So not only in our sinful state before we were made alive in Jesus Christ, not only did we follow the courses and ways of this world, but we followed the devil. We followed Satan. We were bound to him. We were enslaved to him. He was over us and he is a terrible master. A terrible master. Remember, all he knows how to do in our life is to bring about killing, stealing, destroying, and lying. And that's what we are enslaved to. He's a terrible master. And we see where it goes on in verse 2. This is the spirit, this evil person, this spirit that is now at work in the sins of disobedience. We see this theme throughout the scriptures. In 2 Corinthians 4, it says, verse 3, And even if our gospel is veiled, the Apostle Paul is saying, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world. Little g. God of this world. That's another name for the prince and power of the air. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. In 1 John 5, verse 19, it says, We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That's the state of the whole world under the power of the prince of the power of the air, under the God of this world, under the devil, the accuser, the father of lies, Satan. So this is the state we are in before we come to salvation in Jesus Christ. We are dead. We are blindly following the ways of this corrupt, fallen world. And we are blindly enslaved to the devil. That is who we are outside of Jesus Christ. And that's why we are sons of disobedience. But then it goes further. It goes further. So we understand one of our enemies is this ruled around us, this system. And we can say, oh... If only I was out of this world. And then our second enemy is the devil. Oh, if only the devil wasn't around. Do you want to know who your third enemy is? Be careful asking that question. Verse 3. Let's get rid of this enemy. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of our body and our mind 
and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Who's my worst enemy ultimately? My fallen self. My sinful self. My rebellious, disobedient self. I need a new self. How do you get a new self? Well, there's good news. There was this conversation Jesus had once with Nicodemus. And Jesus said, well, you need to be born again. What he was saying is you need a new self. You need a new mind. You need a new heart. You need new desires. You need new passions. You need a new self. And Nicodemus was like, how can I be born again out of my mother's womb? And Jesus said, you the teacher of Israel? Don't understand what the scriptures say? But this is our situation. So we got the world that is corrupting and deceiving us. We've got the devil who is tempting and deceiving us. And we have our own sinful desires and passions of our flesh leading us to disobey God, to rebel against God, to sin against God, to fight against God. And this is the situation we are in, in the deadness of our sins. And if that is our state, how can we be saved? It's impossible with us. That's the whole point of what the Apostle Paul is doing here with Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. He wants to drive you to the point where you throw your hands up and say, I can't do it. It's impossible. I'm I'm destroyed. Because I'm enslaved to the world. I'm enslaved to the devil. I'm enslaved to my own fallen self. I'm dead. I can't do it. I need a Savior. That's it. That's it. That's what these verses are driving each and every one of us to. I need a Savior. And that Savior has to be the will of the Father through the redemption found in the Son, Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit that gives me a new self. That's how it has to happen. And that's what chapter 1 was all about. As we understand this condition of being children of wrath, under the power of the devil, enslaved to our fallen flesh. That's why we see in Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 talks about this. Once you've been made alive in Jesus Christ, then you are in a battle. And in this battle, you are then saying no to the rule. You are saying 
no to the devil. Remember, you draw near to God. God will draw near to you. You resist the devil. And if you're in Jesus Christ, what does he do? He flees. He runs. He has no power over you anymore in Jesus Christ. But then also we must put to death daily the desires of the flesh, the passions and desires of sin within our old nature. We must continue to put those to death. So that's what Colossians 3 says, starting at verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetedness, which is idolatry. Now there I just described the vast majority of all media and entertainment options that we have. But then we get into verse 6. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. The Apostle Paul doesn't want any of us to get away. Not realizing that we were dead in trespasses and sins. He doesn't want any of us to get away. He doesn't want any of us to say, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. But let me, let's be honest. Who here knows someone who is a worse sinner than you are? Oh, be honest. You know, oh, be honest. You know, be honest. Yeah. Yeah, I know people are worse sinners than I am. But guess what? The Apostle Paul says, that isn't who you compare yourself against. Who are we supposed to compare ourselves against? Who is it? Yeah, Jesus Christ himself. How are you doing now? When you line yourself up to Jesus Christ. Huh? Does that still work for you? No. We need a Savior because we need a new self. Because once you see Jesus Christ, you realize that you are the worst sinner that you know. That's what the Apostle Paul came to understand. Because you know your own rebellion, your own disobedience, your own broken. You know that you are saved purely by God's grace and God's love and His Son, Jesus Christ. So we see where Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, is the great equalizer. It takes us all to the state of being dead so that we realize that everyone who is saved has been raised from death to life, just as Jesus Christ was raised from death to life in a victory over sin. That's what Romans 3, 23 makes clear. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What the Apostle Paul is doing in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, is very similar to what he does in Romans 5, 6 through 10. So I encourage you to look there. Romans 5, 6 through 10. This is a passage I will close with.
For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. We have to understand our misery, our rebellion, our brokenness. We have to understand that we all in our sin deserve eternal conscious torment. We deserve hell. But that's what's so amazing that Jesus would go and take God's wrath, take our disobedience, so that we can have a new name. Who here wants to be a son of disobedience anymore? Who here wants to be a child of wrath? Who here wants to be a child of God? Sign me up. Thank you, God. That's who you are in Jesus Christ. You're no longer Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are everything you find in Ephesians chapter 1. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we we are amazed by your grace. How good you are. That you would take away from us who are in your son, Jesus Christ, that you would take away from us the titles of child of disobedience, child of wrath, and that you would say that we are your loved child with whom you are well pleased that you would see us as holy and blameless because of the righteousness of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you. And we pray that you would just remind us not only of who we used to be, but that you would remind us every day throughout the day of who we are in your Son, Jesus Christ. In Christ's wonderful name. Amen.